Awesome. In case you didn't know, those were clips from our Create Camp this past week. Thanks to all of the parents that uh, brought your kids to Create Camp. Uh, I think it was a great success for us. I think the kids loved it. I want to also thank all the volunteers that you saw on the screen, some that weren't on the screen, that brought your talents and your energy and your love for God and your time to these children. Uh, man, it was great. So thank you again. Uh, special thanks to Tammy, our director, and then, of course, Claire and her team. And saw Cristania, saw Shannon, saw Ash, and and Kendale, and Walt, there was a lot of people, a lot of people, Tia, of course. Um, so yes, thank you all, um, and for those of you who don't know, my name is Alvin, I serve as lead pastor here at the church. Uh, if it's your first time here, glad you're here, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. Um, we are uh, in a, involved in a lot, there's a lot going on, particularly with the next generation. We just had our youth, I mean our kids this past week, and this week, our teens, our middle school and high schoolers are going to the Motion Conference in Birmingham, Alabama. I think it's up to 24, maybe 25 teenagers going now, um, and it's really encouraging for us. That's a big number. Our youth has always been something we've been working to, to grow and to see th these, uh, this many teenagers going is very encouraging to us. So I want everyone to do us a favor and pray this week for the teenagers, for them to have a radical encounter with God, for their hearts to just be completely transformed. I want them to be shocked and surprised at what God has prepared for them for this week. And we just want to rebuke the enemy from distracting them or bringing anything in the way that's going to diminish just how potent and powerful this week is going to be. So please join us in praying for our teens and praying for the leaders. In fact, I just want to pray right now, if that's okay. Father, I just bless everybody that's going to the Motion Conference, every student, God, every volunteer. I pray that you protect them. I pray, Lord, that you go before them. Lord, I pray for you to ordain and orchestrate just divine connections, Lord, with other students and uh, even the speakers that are teaching, Lord. Bless them and anoint them, Lord, so that these students can be... Uh, brought in closer to you, God, for their hearts to be united with you and your will for their lives. Um, we just pray blessings. We uh, take authority over everything that wants to take away from the trip or distract them from the trip, God, and we just pray for you to just protect them and keep them, Lord, so that they can hear directly from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we've got uh, a serve day coming August the 12th. Our last one was June. It was a great success. Y'all came out. I couldn't believe at the turnout we had. We did a serve day actually here on the grounds. But our vision for serve day is for it to go outside these four walls. And we've been working to come together with uh, different ministries and organizations in the city. And our next one, we are teaming up with Men of Valor. And we are going to work and do some service on their facility grounds, on their campus out in the Antioch area. Great campus. Men of Valor, for those, you don't, those who don't know, is an incredible ministry. They're friends of ours. Members of our church are with Men of Valor. Some are even here today. 
hello, Mr. Lopez and your family, um, Daniel Wise and others, and men of Men of Valor even come. And it's a, it's a great ministry that disciples men to be strong in their, their walk with God and strong in their families. These are men who are either currently or formerly incarcerated, and it's a place of redemption, of second chance, but also empowerment. And man, hearing the stories of the transformations of these men just makes me want to just bless them even more and be a part even more. And we've been praying for ways to strengthen our friendship. And on top of that, our last serve day, they sent so, so many of the guys from Men of Valor came and blessed our church and worked that whole day. So we want to return the favor. And I would love for Nashville Life to show up over at Men of Valor on August the 12th from 1030 to 2 and just offer your help. We've got opportunities. If you're an outdoors person, we've got jobs for you. If you're not an outdoors person, we still have things for you to do. Um, so please let us know that you're interested by texting serve NL, serve NL to 77411. And you can get information and details about what we're doing. And you can also RSVP. But I would love a great turnout to show men of valor how much Nashville Life loves them and how much we believe in them and believe in the vision of what they're doing. So we've got that coming up August 12th. And I think that's it. I think that's it. I want to get into the word. Before, I want to uh, acknowledge a special guest. We've got my mother-in-law here all the way from California. Jasmine's mom, Raquel San Martin, and uh, I feel like last time you were here, I was, we weren't married, me and Jasmine, so here we go. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's uh, repeat these words after me. Say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome. Uh, we're talking on family. We've had a great series on family. Uh, man, I want to just honor my parents. Uh, the past three weeks, my family has uh, preached in the pulpit uh, while me and Jasmine got to get some time away. And it was awesome. I'm so grateful for my family. We had my mom three weeks ago, who's phenomenal as always. I'm sure she got everybody straight and everybody in line. Um, and then two weeks ago was my dad who blessed me. And many of y'all found out for the first time that I had a sister who could preach as well as she can last week. So I want to honor her. Um, and now you got me again. So, uh, oh, thanks, guys. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. No, I'm kidding. Okay, let's get into it. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you. This is Paul talking to the church. He says, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I'm going to be in Romans 12 today because though our message is on family, I think there's some foundational things that we need to visit. It, uh, some of us need to revisit it because it's been a while since you've 
visited it. And then some of you all are either not Christians, you're not in the faith yet, and you're kind of still figuring stuff out. And this is a great time for you to be introduced to some fundamental things that apply to being in Christ and following Jesus as a Christian. Uh, because for us to build our families God's way, we have to first digest and accept that this is a very, very different life than a life outside of Christ. Um, I think sometimes we as the church really push against how different we're actually supposed to be. I don't know why. It's, we, Israel dealt with it, the church. There's always just this fear of not being in sync with the rest of the world, and we don't want to be lame, and we don't want to be weird, and we don't want to be different. But though I don't endorse weirdness, I do endorse biblical difference. And we are called to be unique in more ways than I currently believe that we are. I believe our marriages are looking too much like heathen marriages. I believe our families are looking a little too much like non-Christian families. I believe our priorities and the way we communicate are looking way too much like people who don't believe in Jesus. So I think we need to revisit that, A, we are completely different. We are all human. Now, that is what we share with non-believers. We are human, but Christians aren't only human. Um, we are human, but I always push back when a Christian goes, I'm only human. Well, no, according to the word, you have the power of the living God living inside your heart. So, yes, we are all human, and the Bible says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, and Lord knows I'm in that number, but there is a distinction for those who are in Christ. And Romans 12, 1 helps us see it. It says, by the mercies of God, I'm going to stay there right now if you can stay on verse 1. Yeah, by the mercies of God. One thing that separates Christians is that we are in the mercies of God. The church is a forgiven people group. That's very unique to Christianity. Anyone that's not in Christ uh, they're still under the condemnation of their sins. They're still responsible to pay back all the mistakes and pay for all the mistakes they've made. And they have to do it for all of eternity. And salvation saves you from that condemnation. It saves you from having to pay for all of the sins that you've committed, both past, present, and future. And when you're saved, it saves you. That's why we call the word saved. You are saved from having to pay for your sins. You are saved from having to be judged and condemned for your mistakes. And you are now in the mercies of God. It says, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So on top of being a forgiven people, the church, we are also an accountable people. And that's something very different. The Bible says that before Jesus, all of us went our own way. Before Jesus, your accountability was me, myself, and I. That was basically, you were your own moral compass, you were your own judge, you decided what was right for that day, and you dared someone to try to tell you how to live your life. And that's the way most of us live, but we come into Christ and we're forgiven by Jesus, but then what we need to understand is we're also accountable to the one who saved us, which is why we have to present ourselves 
a certain way because we have to answer to the one who loved us and who gave his life for us. We are an accountable people. It says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, that's another word that can catch us off guard when you are saved because the gospel message is that Jesus sacrificed his life for us. So some of us, when we read this scripture about being a sacrifice, we're like, well, I thought Jesus already did that. Like, I thought he was already our sacrifice. So since he's sacrificed, I thought I don't have to sacrifice. And that's a common uh, area of confusion or question. But I want to bring some clarity to it in case it's needed. Uh, Jesus did sacrifice his life. He sacrificed his life so you wouldn't have to pay for your sins. So though Jesus' sacrifice exempts us from having to pay for our sins, the sacrifice of Jesus does not exempt us from sacrificial lives. Um, just ask all the martyrs in history and even in current day that are losing their life because of their faith in Jesus. They'll be the first to tell you that the Christian faith does not exempt you from sacrificial life. Um, now, God forbid, my prayer is that none of us have to physically lose our life because of our faith, and none of us have to uh, die the violent deaths that so many Christians around the world have had to die. At the same time, even if you aren't called to die physically for Jesus, you are called to be a living sacrifice, which means you're still a sacrifice, but you're not dead. And the way that looks is even though you're living and you're breathing and you're working your job and you're eating and you're living, you are still living sacrificially and certain things in your life are dying. When you're a living sacrifice, even though you're alive, a lot of your life is being crucified and killed. The parts that are dying when you are a living sacrifice are things like your own way and your own agenda and your own preferences and your opinions and your will and your passions and desires. And these are things that I want everybody to know because you'd be surprised at how many Christians, they hear that salvation is a free gift and they hear that he, he paid the price for you, but then they're not equipped and prepared when they are called to make sacrifices themselves. And I've seen a lot of Christians over the years go, wait, no one told me that I'd have to make sacrifice. I, I was told that he made the sacrifice for me. Well, he did and he didn't. <laughs> he did make the sacrifice for the atonement of your sins, but he did not make a sacrifice that freed you from having to make sacrifices for him. So the scripture says you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So I'm alive and I'm breathing, but things in my life are dying because of Jesus. And guys, it usually doesn't feel good. But man, is it worth it? Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So there's another word that's kind of weird, service. It's like, because the way most of us have received the gospel, salvation is a service to us. 
Jesus did a great service where he left heaven, he became a person, he walked the earth for 30 plus years, he died on the cross, he shed his blood, he rose from the grave as an act of service for us. And amen, that's true, that's why we say hallelujah, however, that's not the full gospel. The full picture of Christianity is not just salvation being a service to you, but salvation being service to God. When we live our lives for Jesus, we are called to live in service to the one who served us. It's a, that's, that's what you call a relationship. It's got to be mutual. We've all been in some degree, maybe not all, but a lot of us have been in unmutual relationships where both aren't in and like you are doing it all or they're doing it all and it just doesn't seem like a mutual thing. Jesus wants, he's calling us to a mutual relationship. He's sacrificed for us. He's serving us, but we are called to serve him back. We are called to sacrifice for him back. And this is what the scripture is saying. So our lives are meant to be uh, a mutual sacrifice, a mutual service where God doesn't just serve me, but I serve him. He doesn't just sacrifice for me, but I sacrifice for him. And that's when our relationship with God becomes functional and it becomes fruitful and it becomes true. Until then, we're just deceiving ourselves. We've got to put some stake into the game. We've got to put our skin in the game. We've got to put our hearts and our lives on the altar if we want our Christian lives to function the way it was supernaturally designed to function. Amen? So raise your hand if you ever bought something for yourself. Like you've kind of given a gift to yourself. Like you treated yourself to a, a vacation or a, 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 a item of clothing or a nice meal or jewelry or whatever. Our salvation isn't just a gift for us, but I want to present to you today that your salvation is actually a gift that God bought for himself. Uh, many of us forget that God wanted us. He missed us. We had been apart from him, and he hated being apart from us. He missed us. He missed being close to us, but there was this little thing called sin that legally placed us under the bondage and the slavery of Satan, and there was the only way he can get us back was by buying us. He had to buy us fair and square, and it cost the blood of his only son. That was the only way. That was the price tag on our lives. He couldn't just give... $200,000 and say, hey, I, I want humanity back. There was, no, there was nothing that would purchase us except the blood of his only son, Jesus Christ. So that's what we read in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus says, Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 through 46, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's us. We were that prize. We were that thing that God wanted so bad that he gave all that he had so he could have enough to afford to pay for our reconciliation with him. So I'll, it's important to understand this because when you think of it in those terms, it makes you a little less surprised, a little less offended, 
a little less caught off guard when God expects you to please him. Because I saw a lot of hands go up when it came to you've bought something for yourself. And when you buy something for yourself, everyone buys it with an expectation and a right to do what they want to do with that thing that you bought. And the reason why you feel justified or entitled to do what you want to do with what you bought is because you bought it with your own money. And let someone try to challenge that and tell you what to do with what you bought with your money. It's like, are you kidding me? This, I bought this, so therefore I have the right to do what I want to do with it because I bought it. So we understand this with each other. We understand this with our possessions. But yet we get caught off guard and even offended when God wants to do what he wants with us. We are his purchase. If you are saved in this room, if you call yourself a Christian, you were purchased with the blood of Jesus and you are now a possession of God. So just like you have the right to do what you want to do with what you buy, you have to allow God to have the same right. It's not fair to want the right to do what you want with your purchases, but don't give God the right to do what he wants with his purchase, which is your life. It's not fair. It's not just. You, if you are a, now, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. You, you live for yourself. You own yourself. There you go. If you live for Jesus, if you are a Christian, you are his purchase. He bought you with blood, expensive, priceless blood. So therefore, if you're going to experience the benefits of being purchased by God and no longer having to be controlled by sin and controlled by, by death and all the things that you were controlled by before salvation, then you also have to embrace the fact that your life is no longer your own. Your opinions don't matter anymore compared to Jesus. And I know that makes some of y'all mad. It's a reality that too many of us are either unaware of or turning a blind eye to. Which is why the scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I'm going to keep on with Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Which is why some of you guys are upset or even uncomfortable right now. Because this is very counter-cultural to the world that we live in. In our world, no one tells a grown man what to do. No one tells a grown woman what to do with their life. This is my life. I'm, well, we, we love saying, I'm grown. We love saying that. I'm grown. In our world, and especially our country, independence, autonomy is everything. Having to answer to someone about your life is very offensive in the world that we live in, which is why Scripture says you cannot conform to this world. You cannot take your cues from the patterns of this world because the patterns of this world are contrary to the patterns of the kingdom of God. In Christianity, your life is no longer your own. Jesus didn't give himself the right to do any. Jesus says, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. 
And as Christians, we are expected and held accountable to that same mindset. I told the first service, salvation is free in the same way that when you're a kid and you get picked up by your parents from school, salvation is free in the same way that being picked up by your parents from school is free. And I'll explain. When your parents pick you up from school, that is a free ride. No kid, I hope at least, if y'all are collecting from your kids, then we got another, I'm glad you're here. We got some talking to do. But when your kid, that'd be hilarious. Oh, honey, that'll be, okay. Um, man, that's funny. When you get into a car and the kid comes to the car, they're not, they're not paying you like a taxi or an Uber. It's a free ride. But it's also not their car. Uh-huh. Um, so you get into the car, it's a free ride. You're not paying for that ride, but you're still in your parents' car and you're driving where they are going. So either they gotta go to the grocery store after school, they gotta go to the house, they got, you're riding in someone else's car, but it's a free ride. A lot of us treat our salvation like you've been given a free car. You have been given a free ride in a car that doesn't belong to you. It is not a free car. Oh, man, this salvation is great. I get the keys, woo, and I just get to live my life. And so long, devil, but also, God, you can't tell me what to do. I'm a free agent. And we want this sweet spot where we're not under the devil's authority, but we're not under God's either. We're just doing us. And that's what we've made salvation. And we're deceived that that's what we're thinking. The Bible says that your righteousness belongs to Jesus. It's his righteousness that you're even living it's his holiness. You don't have any holiness of your own. You don't have a car of your own. The best we can get is a free ride. But praise God for the free ride. Because I did not have access out of hell into heaven unless I got into the car called Jesus. And it's a free ride, but it is not my car. We do not have the right to design our own salvation that's custom fit to us. There is no custom salvation. There is a salvation of Jesus and you either conform to it or you're on your own, buddy. That's why it says do not be conformed to this world where everyone is doing their own thing at their own pace, in their own way, according to their own Enneagram number, according to their own... All of these custom fits, we got one fit, and that is Jesus. And if we don't subscribe to his way and to his thing, we are not Christians. I know I'm making some of you mad. But we can't create our own Christianity and expect God to say, oh, yeah, that's me. Y'all, we're accountable we all are going to have our lives judged. And if it's not in line with the Christ that we call Lord, he is not going to accept it as true. So what do we do? Run in fear? No. But we, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We go, okay, Lord, I don't want to mess this up. What does your Bible say salvation is? What does your Bible say it is to follow you? 
What is your word? What are you telling me to do with my life? What are you telling me to do with my family? I said family, so it's still a family message. <laughs> what do you want me to do with my family? This Bible says that my life is, has to be of service to you. I'm sorry, God. I never thought of my life as being service to you. I thought it was just a deal where you got to serve me. I'm sorry. I, I, I have to be honest, God. I just did not think of my life as a, a service to you. Okay. I might have to make some <laughs> changes now that I'm finding out that my life is purposed to please you. That's the first revelation. And the second revelation is, okay, what pleases him? Oh, that, well, that doesn't please me, God. I don't like that, but you like that? Ah, and then you get caught between this fork in the road that I've been in several times. Uh, Romans 12, 2 says, I just read it, I'm going to read it again. Do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, and then the word that a lot of us hate, perfect will of God. Perfect is not a curse word in Christianity as much as we try to make it a curse word. There is a perfect will of God. Perfect will of God is God's preference. Another word for the will of God is the preferred outcome for a situation. God's perfect will is his preferred outcome for your life. And too many of us are living our lives under what God will allow versus what God prefers. If your standard is, is it going to strike me down with lightning, then you're going to live a real lame life. What's even worse is, will God still love me if I do this? If that's your standard, then you're toast because God will love you if you robbed five banks tomorrow. God will love you even if you rob a bank tomorrow. But will it please him? No. And as Christians, we are not called to live our lives based on what the Lord allows. But according to this, we have to live our lives based on what God prefers. Lord, what is your preferred response from me today? What is your preferred attitude from me today? What is your, prefer, your, what is your preference to how I treat my neighbor? What is your preference to what I do with this paycheck? What is your preference? How many of us are asking God, what is your preference for me? That's another way of saying what is your perfect will for my life? Because God has a permissive will, and that's what he allows, which is, Robbing banks falls into that category. If you decide to rob a bank, God will allow you to do it. He has a permissive will, but then he has a perfect will. And we are called to live in pursuit of his perfect will. I promise you, your life will be significantly different, unrecognizable, by living your life under what God will allow versus living your life over what, by what God prefers. If I live, I was in that... A couple years ago, I was in a major fork of the road decision. 
a big decision I had to make. And it wasn't debauchery or holiness. It wasn't robbing a bank or serving God. It wasn't, you know, horrible, bad, evil sin in God. But it was an option of something that I think God would have allowed and still loved me for, even if I did it. And then between what God's preference was. And it was hard because it wasn't about what's bad and what's not. It was about what's allowed versus what is preferred. And we aren't walking in the perfect will of God until we start being driven by what he prefers. Does that make sense? God has a perfect will for every part of your life, including your family. And when it comes to God's will for your family, it is, Lord, what is the preference? What is your preference for my family? If you had it your way, God, how would my family look? And I'm telling you, God's perfect will for every family happens when each member of that family finds out their family role and their family function and choosing to focus on that. Today, I want to encourage you all to examine and focus on your family role and your family function. The Bible says that... uh, a family is comprised of multiple roles and multiple functions. I'll read a scripture that it's speaking about the body of Christ, but it applies to family. Uh, Romans 12, same chapter, but now I'm going to read verse 3 and 4, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, verse 3 and 4, Romans 12, Paul says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Verse 4, pay attention to verse 4, please. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So just like this applies to the body of Christ, it applies to your nuclear family. Your family is comprised of multiple roles and functions. And depending on who you are, you share some of those roles and functions. And I'm trying to present to you guys today that the secret to success in your family is not being preoccupied and concerned with the other person's role and function but allowing God to teach you about your role and your function. Because actually that's the only role and function that you've been ordained and responsible to worry about. And I just believe there's too many hands in each other's pots when it comes to our families. And we're either trying to enforce or teach them what their role should be, or even worse, assuming their role because we don't think that they're going to do it. And it's causing more and more chaos. What would you say that my role is 
in my family? Like, what's, what's one of my titles in my family? Son, awesome. I'm a son. Am I Jasmine's son? Husband. Oh, husband. Yes. I'm your husband, Jazz. Uh, am I Ashley's husband? I'm a brother. I'm a son-in-law. I'm a father. Soon to be father. I got a kid coming. I got a baby coming. In a month. So I've got father. I've got son. I've got brother. I've got uncle. You know, I've got these roles. I have these functions. And my contribution to God's will for my family is by asking God, what is your perfect will for my role in this family? And I believe it's only when we focus on our role that we've been created and designed to do that we are actually contributing to the success of our family. I don't believe that we are actually contributing to the success of our family until we start to think about what our role and our function is. I don't think there's been any progress by us putting the responsibility of ourselves for other people's roles. Our prayer should be, God, what is your will for my role in this family? I wrote this down. Uh, Stop trying to function outside of your God-given function in your family. Just stop. You're not doing as much good as you think you're doing. In fact, you're actually making it worse. My charge to you is stay in your lane and trust God. He sees it all. He knows how to fill in the gaps. He knows what they're doing and not doing. But he's not calling you to feel like you have to do it for them and be it for them. I've heard you know, young adults say, you know, I feel like I'm, I got to be the kid and the parent in my family. That's not in the Bible. If you're a son, Lord, show me what the Bible says about being a son. What am I responsible for as a son? Not what is he responsible for, for as my dad or what is she responsible for as my, Lord, show me the scriptures about what I am called to do as a son. Okay, it says honor your father. Honor? I thought it was my job to correct. That's weird. Maybe that's another scripture. (laughs) Let me Google. There's a scripture that says father's correct. No, it says honor. Okay. Well, what's honor? Esteem highly? I never knew that. And then when you step into that position, and the cool thing about it is, is it's... (laughs) Honoring and obeying God's word is not a reaction to the family members in your life. It's a reaction to the God that you say is Lord over your life. That you say, you told me he was Lord. I didn't tell you he was Lord over your life. Y'all told me he was Lord over your life. So if the Lord says to honor, okay, I'm doing it because you, I don't really think he's done a whole lot that deserves honor. But I will do this because according to the scripture, my life is not my own anymore. And my opinions are second to your commands. And my understanding is inferior to yours. So I will honor him. 
And the cool thing about obeying God about your role in your family, it is not a guarantee that it's going to change the other relatives. But that's not the point. There's, you don't have, your job is not to change your relatives. Your job is to obey God for what he's calling you to do. And when you are faithful to what he's called you to do, even if no one else in your family gets in alignment, you will still reap the benefits as if you had the most functional family in the world. Because God will see fit that you will not miss a beat of his favor. You will not miss an ounce of what you were, the affirmation. If you didn't get the affirmation from your mom, he will throw in so much affirmation, you'll be tired of affirmation. You'll be getting it from all these other sources. You're like, oh, how, how am I whole and mom and dad still haven't changed? How am I satisfied and my husband still doesn't come to church? How am, I, how am I full of God's spirit and full of joy and my wife is the exact same way she was. In fact, she's gotten worse. How, how am I? God will see fit that he, if anyone who obeys him, he will see fit that your life will be complete. And not only will it be complete, it'll be overflowing in abundance. He says the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. But there's no way, guys, there's no way you can experience the abundance of life that he's promised if you're still disobedient with what he's called you to do for your life. We have to retire. I would have obeyed God if they had done this. Or they pushed me to the limit and they made me mad. Who gives you the right? That, that, there's no excuse. You cannot let anyone but God be the determiner of how you live your life. You can't give your relatives that much power in your life. No one is worth hell. You're going to let a relative make you miss out on heaven? Don't give them that much power. I know it hurts. And I know you should have gotten what you got. And I know that you should have. But the reality is, the reality is, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And when I read that scripture, I got to read it for what it says. If it says I shall lack nothing, it means I shall lack nothing. And that doesn't just mean bills, money to pay your bills. I lack no confidence because the Lord is my shepherd. I lack no grace and favor because God is my shepherd. I lack no provision because God is my shepherd. And, and, and we've... We, we've Sometimes it seems so simple. It's almost too simple. We oftentimes want a deep answer or a profound answer. And after all of the searching for the deep theological cloud moments, Moses moments, all he's saying is, mind your business. <laughs> like, stay in your lane. You're not the dad. Don't be the dad. You're not the husband. Stop trying to be the husband. Be what I've ordained you to do. And trust me. I told single moms, single moms, God loves you. We pray for you. We love you. But I need you all to retire from, you know, since I'm a single mom, I got to be both the mom and the dad. Retire that phrase. 
No, you don't. If you're a mom, that's all you have to be. Set yourself free from the false responsibility of being someone that you will never be and never have to be. Instead, the prayer is, because I get it, the reality, it would be easier and he should be involved and he should be, but the prayer is, Father, I'm a mother. And with you, that's all I have to be. But I need help. So, Father, help me and supplement what is not happening in the house by some way that only you can do. And then you just watch him work. And you will find yourself experiencing more being done in your life. And you are actually stressing less than you were before because you've allowed yourself to just be the mother. And the Lord will make it happen in some way. He'll be either through a godly husband that he brings out of nowhere or he'll raise up a, a, a great male figure, whether it's your father and their grandfather or their uncle. Or, or it might be a story where God's in it for the long game. There's some, there's some long game testimonies where God just, he just promises to preserve your children and protect them until the appointed time where they do meet that positive male influence that, that, that he uses to bring healing to their life. My dad shared a couple of weeks ago how, you know, his dad was present, but he was really missing a lot from his dad, and he didn't have a positive example of what a godly husband and a godly dad looked like. But God kept my dad into his 30s when he got saved, and it was actually the church that he joined that he got to experience godly examples of husbands and fathers and that allowed him to learn what it meant and what it looked like so even though he didn't have it biologically he was still able to be a godly husband or father even though his he wasn't dealt the cards of that naturally god still was able to make sure that my dad didn't miss a beat with his life and he was still able to continue a godly heritage even though he didn't necessarily come from one God is God. <laughs> he can do it. And he can do it without your manipulation. He can do it without your conniving. He can do it without your plotting. He can do it without your schemes or brilliant ideas or whatever you think it is. He can do it way better. So let him. Let's stay in our lane. Let's go to God. Um, I... I know that God has a perfect will for all of our lives and all of our families. And my prayer is that we go to him. He's the only one who can tell you what his perfect will is for your family. And the way that he has for you guys, it's better than your own way. And it's actually a lot more restful. Some of us are exhausted because you're wearing four more hats than you were ever called to wear today we're taking off some hats guys take off these burdens that you were never called to carry let the Lord carry the burden you take care of the lot that you've been given and trust him with the rest if it's your marriage you do your part trust him with the rest if it's your kids you do your part trust him with the rest
That's the only way to work. Let's go to God. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you that you are the one who saved us. You are the one who purchased us. And therefore, our lives are now of service to you. Lord, you've served us so well. Lord, you, you have provided everything we need through Jesus. But Lord, we see in your word that it's our time to serve you. Our lives are living sacrifices and offerings to you. God, we believe that you want your kingdom to come through our lives. You want your will to be done through our lives. Not just your permissive will, but your perfect will. Lord, so we surrender to you right now. Those who are willing, on behalf of those who are willing, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender our ways to you, our plans to you. We surrender. We surrender it all in exchange for your leadership, God, your companionship, your authority, your wisdom. Teach us, Lord, what our role is in our families. Lord, let us take a break forever from being concerned and overly concerned with what the other people in our family are supposed to be doing or should be doing or could be doing God and let us look into what you're calling us to do whether we are mothers or fathers or husbands or wives or sons or daughters or uncles or or aunts Lord let us be concerned and responsible for our role and let us trust you with the rest God I pray liberation and freedom over every person who's been under a false burden a responsibility a weight that you did not call them to carry God many of them felt like they had to do it their own understandings made them think that if they didn't do it it wouldn't get done and if they didn't do it, the family would fall apart. And if they didn't, and if they didn't, if they didn't, things are going to go bad, God. But, Lord, they've been weighed down by responsibilities that you have not given them. Lord, let us cast all of our cares on you. Every false burden, every false responsibility. Lord, at the same time, many of us have neglected what you called us to do. So let us all go to your word and find out what your word says to wives and what your word says to husbands. Let wives look at what you've called wives to do. Let husbands look at what you've called husbands to do. Let sons look at what you've been calling sons to do and daughters. God, I just believe that as we all tend to our own lane and our own functions, that we're going to see the supernatural because you're going to do the rest, God. And you are way better than us, God. Your hand is way mightier than ours. So we trust you, God. We surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask us all to stand. I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to say yes to Jesus.
The way to a life with God is through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only door, but it's the door that is open for all of us. And if you choose Jesus today, you will step into a new relationship with your heavenly father and you will find a level of favor and a level of privilege and a level of responsibility and a level of grace that you would have never imagined possible for your life. That's just how powerful Jesus is. So let's all repeat this prayer after me and we're going to give everybody an opportunity to, to, to step into sonship with God through Jesus Christ. Uh, say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. Lord, make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's just offer up a sound of thanksgiving, of praise. God's mercy is awesome. His love is awesome. His power is awesome. I'm going to ask for the prayer team. If you're assigned to lead in prayer, we're about to dismiss, but I want everyone to know that we offer prayer to anybody who needs it, who wants it, whether it's salvation, whether it's healing, whether you got a job interview next week, whatever. We are here to pray for you. Uh, these people are here to serve. It's their honor and their privilege and their gift. To, to pray for those who are in need. So don't be shy. Uh, otherwise, thank you for being here. If you, if you said yes to the Lord Jesus, do us a favor and text the word belong to 77411. And that just gives us an opportunity to share uh, more, give you some information that will help you. Uh, so it's very easy. You can also come down for prayer. If you would like to uh, give Thank you in advance. We have our finance team in the lobby. They'll be happy to uh, serve you through offering, and then you can also give online. Um, I love you all. I pray you had a good time with us, but more importantly, I pray that God touched your heart and brought some change to your life that you needed. Uh, so I'm going to dismiss us. Father, thank you again for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. God, continue to minister to our hearts. Continue to minister to our lives as... Uh, as we go on throughout our week and bring us back next week according to your will for the awesome baptisms that are happening next week. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. See y'all next week, hopefully.